The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Fast Money starts right now with breaking news. Stocks getting slammed again. The Dow now down more than 1,000 points since yesterday. That is its worst two-day streak since February. Although the market did close well off the lows, the S&P 500 now down 6% from the highs. The Nasdaq dipping into correction territory before closing slightly off those levels. While the Russell, the only major index to close in correction territory. If you are a retail investor at home watching tonight, you probably have two burning questions. Mm. How much worse could it get, and how do you know when it's safe to buy stocks again? Guy. I think it's got about another 7 to 8% worse to the downside. But I think the, market has three, really? I think the market has three things going for it. And Steve mentioned one of these things last night. There's a chance Fed Chairman Powell backs off some of this hawkish language. That would be encouraging. Number two. Wait, wait, maybe, that would be encouraging? In, in the short term. Okay. In the short term. <laughs> Number two, I think there's a chance maybe President Trump and President Xi get together and maybe get some accord. Maybe the, there's pain on both sides for them to come to the table. That's number two. Number three, we're on the verge of earnings, and maybe earnings and guidance will be good. So those are the three things in your bull camp. The other side, how do you know when it's over? There's going to be a day where the market washes out, and the volatility index, which was up pretty much all day today, despite rallying at a certain point, will be down. When you see that day, I think that's when a bottom has been put in. Today was pretty heavy volume. Was this it? Today was heavy volume, but you need the three-day rule. It's the same thing with the indices. You need to see it stabilize. 27.65, that was the 200-day I told you to watch yesterday. Broke it, violated it. 27.10, that's the low. Why do you think it's negative if they back off raising rates? I'll switch gears real quick. Just, well, if they back <clears throat> off because he feels like he needs to answer to the president, no, but it, that's he, bad. But we're not going to hear that. He's just going to either back off or he's going to stay the course. So yeah, but if he, he does it right off, now, a day after the president day, yeah. says that he's crazy, and then it looks really bad. The optics weeks, are terrible. Though. This has been going on for weeks, so there's never going to be a time when he can do it without the president saying something. I don't know about that. I think there's plenty. So, I mean, you get you get some kind of weak data point, economic data point. That gives an excuse. But if you're looking at an economy which right now is doing fantastic, then you really should be raising rates. And I don't think okay. I do think, the, think Fed the economy. Loses a ton is, do you of think the economy is doing? Fantastic right well, now. I mean, is that what the markets are telling the market, us? It doesn't feel like it. It does not feel like that. The market is telling you What's that rates message? are going too high at this point in time. For the market, it's digesting the fact that we're having a rotation. Now, I can come up with a lot of reasons. We have a trade war that continues to go on. Yeah, that's going to lead to high inflation, low growth. That's not great. China's slowing. The rest of the world's slowing. That's ultimately yeah, the not question going is, to when be do you great. buy it? When do you buy it? Not when do you keep selling it. I so, didn't say we were selling it, but the question oh. was, the question was, first of all, the question was, is it bad if the Fed backs off? Yes, I think, for their credibility. Right. Number two, what's the market telling us? The market's telling us there's a rotation going on, and we're worried about the rest of the world. Are you worried? Am I, I mean, I'm always worried. Am I that worried? No, not really. I mean, I think, you know, the market, it's not, it doesn't use a tiny scalpel to get to exactly efficient prices, right? We don't know. They're never exactly efficient. So... To your point, could it go down seven or eight? That's quite a bit. A like one. that is a really I would I I don't foresee that, but who knows? I think it's really hard to know when the bottom is in. You really only know for sure after. 
I do think when you are at the maximum pain where you absolutely cannot stand it anymore and your inclination is to sell everything. That's when you buy. That did is a good time. Did you get to that point today? No, no. You I did not. Bought a I bought a tiny bit of FedEx today. Yesterday I said I bought a tiny weenie amount, I think I said, of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, of uh, Google call spreads and Facebook call spreads. So I, I, I don't think that I, I hear what you're saying, what the risks are. I think the economy is doing really well. We'll see. We'll get a good look tomorrow, not only at J.P. Morgan's earnings for themselves, but they have great insight into what is the, what is the economy looking like right now? What does it foresee? That's going to be very important. There was some panic today. I didn't see panic yesterday. I definitely heard panic today. How did today. you see panic? When we started today. to rip through the moving averages, program orders start so to flood through on the sell side. that was like the 2 o'clock hour of trading. Uh, all during the day when you started to break through all these different levels and didn't hold, that's when they started to sell. Then when the positive trade headlines came out, they bounced them and it didn't hold, mm -hmm. which made the selling more ferocious to the downside. Right. Oh, so so the, the scenario is down seven to eight yeah. percent or so from here. What, what do Why you would see? that be so catastrophic, though? You know, we, what are we the talk... bare points that get us there? Well, pre announced or... I mean, good earnings and then companies say going forward guidance is lousy, and that will exacerbate the selling we've seen already. There's a very good chance that we've seen yeah. four major companies over the last couple weeks say exactly that. So the inflation pressures they're feeling, and we'll talk about the Fed probably in the next block, but it's backing up exactly what the Fed is doing. That's number one. You still have huge emerging market risk. I mean, those markets have been down, no bounce seemingly in sight. You have the Chinese currency continuing to devalue. That's a headwind. If it prints a seven handle, I think the market will get concerned. Mm -hmm. I mean, the risks are all out there. The other risk, by the way, is, you know, passive investing is great on the way up and these ETFs and everything is beautiful. And Bob Pisani talks about it. I get it. We wax poetic. Passive is great on the way up, but when it becomes active, in other words, when people say, wait a second, what's going on? And instead of the passive buying on the way up, all of a sudden people start to freak out. You see it manifest itself, and you saw it today. I mean, the market went down from down 300 in the Dow to down 600 yeah. in about a minute and a half. You tell me that's normal? It's not, and it's based on— But that's based on de-risking, de quantitative stuff. And we talked about it, by the way— spits out how much you have to de-leverage and de-risk. And, and it we depends on the price— of the market where you have to de-risk and de-leverage. So and then what turned it around then? If it's, if it's down like that on it's, those factors, Because if, what if people it start then? to do it, it's almost like a rebalance. If you do it ahead of the game, so the level was 27.19 in the cash, mm -hmm. where if you broke that level, it was supposed to trigger about 50 billion in notional S&P futures for sale. As Soon as it triggered, we rallied five handles lower than that. People prepped for it. So they already sold them ahead of that to get to that level where they could cover them. That was like the 100-day moving average? Or that, that was the 200-day, the, no, the okay. but that's not. The 27-19 level was actually where risk parity accounts decided through their models where they had to sell the market. Okay, it's so the precise. computers do it. It still doesn't feel good. Right. Doesn't feel who's good. doing the stock? seasonality? It doesn't feel, feel good. good. You see the volatility index spike. We see a bid to gold, which we haven't seen yes. in a long time. We see a strong bid to bonds. It's, I mean, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good at all. I mean, and, and we probably, listen, maybe we got 7 or 8%. I will give you my rule of thumb that I use to know when there is a bottom. When I wake up in the morning and I look at the market and I want to throw up on my shoes, that's when you did buy. Did you feel that today? I did not feel that way today. So I'm with Guy. I think huh. there's probably, there's going to be a time that you have, I thought it might be this morning, that you have a big down day 
it rips higher and stays higher, then that's the first time where you want to say, all right, you know what, I'm going to add one third position here. And that's how we're going to look at it. I still think it's a tradable bounce, mm -hmm. and we'll have to see with earnings. Earnings concern me. Flower Corp, Floor Corp uh, yeah. concerns me. Margins compressing, uh, revenue slowing, those things concern me. So I think you have a tradable bounce, and then we'll have to see. So it's funny. You and Karen say you're both not ready to throw up quite yet. Well, I, <laughs> so, I can throw so, up without selling everything. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you do before you feel that sort of capitulatory bottom? Like, what do you do in this period? If you don't think this, this is all, the all clear right now, well, you, okay. create a you, list of, you create a list of stocks that uh -huh. at a certain price you'd buy regardless of what's going on in the world. Everybody loves Apple for reasons we talk about for the last dozen years. If Apple gets to a certain level, whatever that level is, in my head, 185 makes sense, but it doesn't matter what I think. Facebook traded particularly well today. We talked about that Got last night. Got an upgrade. So maybe that stock is interesting now. So you make a list of stocks that at a certain price you buy regardless, and you stick to it, and you don't allow fear to interfere. <laughs> One thing I do try to do is look at taxes. If I have big short-term losses in something, I will look to sell that and buy something that will move right with it, right? So that that way you could take the short-term loss, still have maintained a position in the trade. That's really the only thing I would do. You have to have a couple of days, let's call it three still. So when you say three-day rule, do you so mean it from yesterday from when? From Yes, today. it starts from the sell-off day. So, so let's, let's go back day. two days ago. Okay. Two days ago. But you have to have, you can't make another new low. So if it goes now a fourth day where there's another new low, then it resets again. So you cannot, you have to have stability in the market for two or three days before you actually buy the market. All right. Well, if you are tempted to buy, our next guest has a simple piece of advice. Don't. It's different this time. Lori Calvacina is the head of U.S. Equity Strategy at RBC. Lori, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Why not? Um, we said don't buy the dip yet. Eventually we'll be able to buy it, but we just don't th we think we're at that point yet. What will tell you that you are? So, you know, you know, I was listening to you guys earlier saying you felt a little bit of panic today. I actually sensed complacency yesterday. Um, I was out, walk, you know, seeing investors yesterday, wasn't looking at my phone all afternoon, got back to the office, was absolutely shocked to see how much tech had gone down. I was not sensing that investors were really even paying that much attention to it um, in my meetings. And that tells me we've got a little ways to go. What will tell you that panic has, is it a level on the VIX? I mean... Well, I think, I think on the tech stocks, and you know, I've been a bear on tech. It's been a, it's been a long, lonely trade for me. Um, but when people stop, you know, sort of arguing that they're secular and they don't have any cyclical components, you know, there's just so much pushback on the perfection of the fundamentals. That has got to break before you can go back in and buy that sector. And I think we're a long way from that. So let's get outside of tech and look yeah. at some of the sectors that have been beaten up, right? Let's look at materials, maybe. Let's look at some of the asset-heavy names. Is that where people should rotate into? Uh, you know, materials is a tough one. We're neutral, that sector, and we're getting very mixed signals on the valuation data. It actually still looks like a very expensive sector if you look at it relative to cash flow just through yesterday's close. I mean, I think there's still maybe some more damage to be done in that space, frankly. Speaking of valuation, is there a valuation level at which you will say, the market is definitely a buy. I mean, is it, does it get triggered by that, or do you need to see other things along with that valuation? You've got to see other things. I think valuations themselves are not a reason to buy or sell right now. So as of yesterday's close, we were at about 16.8 times on the forward PE. Your long-term average is about 15.8. So at the very least, I'd like to say is get pretty close to that average, maybe break a little bit below it. Then we'll see. We'll have to reassess everything else. But we're just we're, we're not even back to sort of cheap valuation territory yet. Do you have the luxury of waiting, knowing that the, the seasonality is the, the end of the year is coming? 
do you have the luxury of actually waiting for all these things to get in line? I, I'm not a big believer in seasonality, to be honest. Um, and, you know, I think even if you look at issues like the midterm elections, right, people are trying to make arguments about that right now. We, the market's actually traded completely the opposite of the way it does in a typical midterm year. So I'm not even going to get into that issue, frankly. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to the vomit. Yeah. <laughs> That's a better so, signal. Yeah. What are you seeing in terms of your clients wanting to the flow of funds? So I think what's really been tough the last few days is there's a different thing that's resilient on different days. And it's like one day you'll have the reflation trade back in vogue. So we've had some days where energy's had a nice move, industrials have caught a little bit of bid, and then that doesn't work. And then the next day, you know, everything that's defensive is bidding up. Um, and we think you should be tiptoeing back into those defensives. We've been telling people that for a while. Um, people have to get past sort of their rising rate fears, though. Um, I still like the energy sector, though. I think you've got cheap valuations. I think you've got geopolitical risk. I think you've got a bullish oil price forecast and you finally got an appetite where investors are willing to look at that space again because frankly they're starting to run out of other options. Laurie, good to see you. Thank you. Laurie Cavasino, RBC. What do you think? I think she's right about complacency. I mean, you know, getting into volatility, people have grown so accustomed to the market bouncing for them that they sell volatility. I mean, one of the trade strategies for people has been short volatility. That doesn't go away overnight, and I don't think that's something that goes away over the course of a week. It takes time. We saw it in January, and you're seeing it now. Does it think this can't continue to exacerbate to the down? Especially... When Facebook went down, we talked about it last night, it went down 23% in about six minutes. That was a little crazy. It's a $600 billion company. And we said same thing could potentially happen in the broader market, and you're seeing it now. So these air pockets are not going away overnight. What did we do today, day two of this market sell -off? Well, I think what you can take some time and, re and reposition your portfolio. So if you're concerned about inflation, if you're concerned about rising rates because of inflation, look at what Freeport McMoran did today up in a down market. So you got copper and gold bid there. Why not put a little bit of your portfolio in that and hedge against everything else? Maybe you don't look necessarily at tech again as buying the dip, but maybe look at the things that have outperformed or at least had relative strength versus the market here. To me, it's Freeport Mac. Karen? Well, as I said, I you know bought a little bit of FedEx. There's a couple of things. I, lower, I would probably buy some more. Um, GE was down a little bit, but it's had such a big run. It wasn't down enough to, to add to, but that's definitely on my list. J.P. Morgan to add somewhere, although clearly it's a big question mark going into earnings tomorrow, and I think that will obviously read through to the other money center banks as well as Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. Those are, those are the kinds of things that are on my list, and then there's some retail stuff that's getting attractive. I mean, Macy's is really... Uh, there's, I, there's stuff to do if you really can just separate the emotions from it. What, what's odd to me is that Lennar is finally catching a bid during this down tape, which has been nothing but abysmal. Diana Olick had a great Grace interview. Higher. Exactly, right. with, the, with the chairman of LEN. And you started to see this gaining some momentum to the upside. So maybe this is truly the laggard in a, in a terrible tape where this could rally. All right, coming up, it is the showdown of the century. President Trump calling the Federal Reserve crazy and out of control and blaming it for the market sell-off. Will Fed Chair Jerome Powell fight back? We've got the details. Plus, Judgment Day for the banks just hours away. Could be a make-or-break moment for the markets. We'll tell you why this could be the most important earnings season ever. And later, high-flying tech stocks getting crushed in the sell-off. But Guy here says there is one name that is a screaming buy. He will give us his fast pitch. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich 
is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Chaos reigning in the markets today. The S&P down almost 7% from its 52-week high. And President Trump, he isn't staying quiet, blaming the Fed for the correction and calling it loco, crazy, and out of control. Let's get to Eamon Jabbers on this developing story. Eamon. Yeah, hi, Melissa. The president's been heaping that red-hot rhetoric on the Federal Reserve over the past 24 hours or so. Take a listen uh, to some of the president's toughest criticisms here over the past day. No, I think the Fed is uh, making a mistake. They're so tight. I think the Fed has gone crazy. The Fed is going loco, and there's no reason for them to do it, and I'm not happy about it. I think the Fed is out of control. I think what they're doing is wrong. So crazy, loco, out of control, all of those are the adjectives that the president is using to describe the Federal Reserve's policy of raising interest rates. The president frustrated. He doesn't want to see the economy stall or the Dow stall uh, going into these midterm elections in November. So that's the big frustration for the president, and that's causing him to speak out the way he has been. But Larry Kudlow on CNBC earlier today suggested that there's one line that the president is not crossing. He's bursting through a number of sort of presidential norms of the past here, but the one line he's not crossing is Larry Kudlow says the president is not directing the Fed to lower rate, uh, to change its rate policy. He's not directing them to slow down. Uh, that's the line uh, that Larry Kudlow suggested this, this president's not going to cross because he says the White House respects the independence of the Fed. So the president's sort of spouting off here, uh, but retaining uh, this image of an independent Fed. And he actually also said in one of the interviews this morning, Eamon, the president, that is, that he would not fire Powell, which I think was, is an important message to the markets as well, right? I mean, sure. to, to at least say he's going to be in the job. Important nuance there, too, right? Because if the president says he's not going to fire Powell, he's assuming that he has the authority to fire Powell. And there's some, there's some gray area there about whether the president could fire a Fed chair if it's not for cause. Uh, so there's some questions uh, in, in terms of the process there. This president clearly believes he can fire Jay Powell if he wants to, uh, and, but saying he's not going to uh, because, again, the White House suggesting that the president respects the independence of the Fed despite all of that rhetoric he's been pouring on over the past 24 hours. You know, Eamon, he's had so many interviews, and I'm sure you watched all of them very closely. Yeah. Has anybody pushed back and said, hey, if the economy is so strong, why wouldn't the Fed raise rates? Isn't you know, that a reflection of the strength of the economy? It's interesting. Uh, Larry Kudlow said that on CNBC this morning, and you hear the president making that case slightly. He says, I get that there's safety there. He's, what, he's, what he's suggesting is he understands that the Fed needs to raise rates here so that in the future, if there's some other calamity like we saw in 2008, the Fed has some wiggle room to lower rates again, and that gives the Fed some ammunition to work with. Uh, the president, in, in all these criticisms, says that he understands that. He just thinks that they're moving too quickly. He thinks that they should slow down. All right. Eamon, thank you. Eamon you Javers, long day for Eamon at the White House. Shortly after, Jeffrey Gunlock weighed in on those comments, those earlier comments from Trump on the halftime report. It's pretty clear to me that he's being kind of crazy like a fox with this Fed rhetoric, where he doesn't want to take the blame if the Fed over tightens and leads to a problem in risk assets, which, you know, is started to come out in real time in the last week or so. So uh, he's basically saying, you know, uh, if the market goes down, it's on the Fed. 
So is there truth to Trump's accusations here? Is the Fed to blame for the sell-off, Grasso? What do you think? Well, if you look at the time where Powell had his statements and you look at the time of the sell-off, I think it's hard to imagine that it's not responsible or on the Fed's lap for the sell-off. I mean, that's when I look at the chart, I don't know what you could possibly garner from it other than that. Well, what, I mean, what about what about Italy? What about a trade war? What about a slowing global I mean, all those economy? things that were there for the last couple of months? Yeah, exactly. The Fed's been there for the last rising, couple of months. The I mean, the Fed didn't just show up he today. He just had the conversation. It affected the, the bond market. It filtered rates. through. I mean, they've been raising rates. He they just have had the quad. conversation. He, I mean, it was they've a been conversation. having this conversation for six months. But you know, We've known yeah. this is coming. A quarter point drops the market yeah. this much? I mean, it's, come on. It's if we, not, if it's our economy's not a that weak, we got bigger it's problems. It's what he said. It's, he said how much he's willing to go past neutral. Okay, but we've known that. There's nothing new in that. There's no, no new there, information No, there. there was. I think it was seen as hawkish. The market told me. The I'm market just, told the me market, it was seen as but hawkish. But, I mean, at the same time, we had problems with Italian debt. At the same time, we have the yuan weakening. We have a trade war. We've got margins uh, coming out. We've got warn earnings warnings. I mean, it's partly maybe, Fed, maybe. but it's not okay. all oh, Fed. Oh, oh. So maybe it's everything. I agree. But it's, it's a little too convenient to have the day that he speaks about it the bond market fall apart or rising rates I mean, and then to have the market but it doesn't mean fall it's, it's apart. the cause. Right. Just because something's convenient doesn't mean it's the cause. Right. I, yeah. I, I get it. I took calculus causation. I get you it. You did. Yeah, you that's algebra. <laughs> anyway. I mean, 10-year yields have actually gone down over the last... I mean, 10-year yields spiked, what, 328, then, right? Good. So yeah. yields are actually... I mean, you could say it's a flight to quality. I mean, it doesn't really matter what it is. I mean, and if the Fed's causes, if our market, the stock market can't withstand this, then to be case that we have bigger problems. Plus, if you thought the stock market was just going to continue to go higher in the face of a Federal Reserve that's been going about face now for the last year and a half, you know, I think you're sort of... You're hoping for, against hope that it's going to be the case. There's going to be some hiccups along the way. It, it, the market can't go up for 10 years with the Fed at its back, and then the Fed step away and think it's going to continue. And one more uh, thing. I mean, when President Trump talks about derailing the economy, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about derailing the stock market, which when he became President Trump, he talked about being a report card for his administration. And we said back then that if the market goes down, he needs somebody to blame, and he will blame the so Federal Reserve. So we said Reserve. last night, he's got, he's got a scapegoat. But can we all agree that deleveraging the balance sheet along with raising rates is a double effect? Of Wait, okay, but, in a vacuum, but this didn't happen in a vacuum. It's not like this was not telegraphed for a really long time. So one thing the market hates is surprises. And this was not a surprise, that they were shrinking this balance sheet. Three years ago, they laid that out there. They laid out there a year ago what, they, what this path of, of tightening was going to look like. That's what the market doesn't uh, does. Yeah, but Karen, do. I could push back and say all of, the, so all of the other things that you're saying was the reason why the market fell were out there as well. So whether it was trade or whether it's you want or anything else, it was all out there as well. Well, trade has been getting worse, right? Right. Trade has been getting worse. Second round of tariffs, for instance, right. you know, way trade back when. Trade with China has been getting worse. Trade with Mexico, they did get another NAFTA two or MCA or whatever they call it. That was getting better, but trade with China is definitely getting worse. Those tensions are. I'm not, I'm not I, sure it's getting worse, but but it okay, ain't getting I'll, better. I'll, Come on. I mean, <laughs> well, maybe well, today they see that. Yeah, got yesterday so he bad. wasn't. Yesterday he wasn't meeting at the G20. Now he's sending a team. Now he's meeting with him at the G20. So that's getting better. Hopefully that's getting better. I think the the market did react to that. That to me is the is the bigger threat. So the one thing that I do think is important is everybody's talking about the Fed being so tight. I don't <laughs> see that. 
right? If you look at the Chicago Fed National Financial Conditions Index, we are at the easiest financial conditions since 1994. You look at something like the Taylor Rule, and these things take the emotion out of it. The Taylor Rule says the Fed funds rate should be at five and a quarter percent. We're at two and a quarter. That's a great so, intellectual I mean, argument, but yeah. I mean, isn't it all about the the rate of change and the change that we've seen in the past? Let's say six. Where where was a ten-year Treasury yield six months ago, and where did it go up to? Went up to three two six or whatever sure. that was in change. But that doesn't that mean was, that conditions are tight. Or, it just means that we had a change. We had a change. Yeah. But BK, right. the, the dual mandate the is change. price stability and, and, and employment, right? Full employment. So we have full so employment what, and so, no inflation. So what is, we have no inflation. Look at inflation expectations. They are at 2.2%. Okay. That's what the Fed looks at. There are no, they're fully so anchored. Are, are, we, are we in any danger of inflation running away? Maybe. Maybe, or are we in a... Do maybe you, is it the so Fed's maybe job sounds to go like, ahead of time? Maybe sounds like he can skip one, right? Could he I, skip one, or do you think it's a travesty if he skip one? No, I think, I think when he ruins, they, they ruin their credibility. They destroy no, their credibility. No, they don't. They actually get credibility. It's data dependency. Would you have said they destroy their credibility prior to Trump's right. most recent that's comments the about the Fed? Would you have I, said they would destroy no, that's, the credit? No, that's, that's what so I said Trump last night. Introduce that into the conversation. That's what I said last night, and I still believe that. So if Trump if, shut up, all they, the they're allowed equal. to skip. If Trump shuts up, they're allowed to skip, and you'd feel Why better. No, they I'm be saying that all of the things are equal. The economy doesn't change. If we have anchored, if we have anchored inflation expectations, we have maybe oil comes off a bit. Yeah, then there's an economic reason for them to skip. But if they do it just because they do it the day after Fed says something and nothing's changed in the economy, yeah, then it erodes their credibility. I believe it that. erodes everybody's credibility. Yes. I think we could have this conversation all night, but we're not going to. <laughs> For more on Jeff Gunlock's take on Trump's war with the Fed, you can head over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, First in Business Worldwide. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is Judgment Day for the banks of Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, and Wells Fargo. Kickoff earnings season tomorrow. And with the market in turmoil, it could be the most important earnings season ever. For more on what to expect from the financials, let's get to Leslie Picker back at headquarters. Hi, Leslie. Hey, Melissa. These three banks, J.P. Morgan, Citi, and Wells Fargo, are important not just because of what their earnings reports say about the health of the banking sector, but what they say about the macro picture as a whole. Analysts and investors will be zeroing in on loan growth. Are these banks keeping pace with economic growth and lending to consumers and businesses? In the second quarter, that growth was muted, but as rates continue to rise, banks have the opportunity to earn more from the interest they charge on those loans. The street's consensus is that earnings per share at all three banks will be higher this year than last and that the combined profits within the industry may be a post-record high 
after the financial crisis. The recent market volatility should benefit the bank's equity trading business, and we will be looking for comments on that from the conference calls, which will take place throughout the morning tomorrow. Now, that said, the KBW Bank Index is more than 5% lower year-to-date compared with a 2% gain in the S&P 500 despite the recent pullback. Valuations on a price-to-earnings basis are below post-crisis averages, leading some to believe that decent fundamentals tomorrow could jumpstart shares higher, Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker back at headquarters. I think a lot of people thought that about the banks for a couple of quarters in a row now, Karen. I mean, I, I cannot wait for J.P. Morgan's conference call. I right. think what Jamie Dimon has to say about the economy is going to be very, very very dissected and interesting and very telling and i think yeah. and the earnings are really going to be secondary certainly this past quarter earnings unless they're dreadful but i think that'll be secondary uh, secondary guidance i think but really it's this his nobody has a better view on the economy than he does and i think I don't know. I, I want to hear what his view on the Fed is. I don't know if he will give that view. You know, sometimes he kind of speaks out of turn. And, right. uh, but I'd love to hear his view on the Fed and whether he's concerned that the Fed is t tightening too quickly. Yeah, he is unvarnished in his commentary, and that's what makes his commentary so valuable. It is valuable on this, and they deserve the premium valuation they're getting. I mean, they're within, you know, earshot of, a, of their 52-week high. Morgan Stanley, by the way, has made a 52-week low today. So there's clearly the chasm between the haves and the have-nots gets larger. That's probably going to continue. I mean, you look at Goldman Sachs, which, by the way, have been a pretty steadfast bull on for quite some time, but this change in management and seemingly the way they're changing their business model overnight gives me some concern. So I think J.P. Morgan's going to be fine. The banks that have to prove themselves now are the investment banks, specifically GS and, GS and MS. They, 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 act like, they act like death, though. So all these banks, so you said it, they, they, you could have said that six months ago. The regulation coming out of them was the biggest tailwind that we've seen. I haven't seen any clients getting excited about buying banking stocks. They're going to fintech. They're going to Visa, MasterCard. They're going to areas like that, but they're not going to traditional banking anymore. Do you think if Jamie Dimon says, you know what, the economy is A-OK, -okay. strong, 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 every indication is fine, I do think, the markets respond? Yeah, I think the markets respond to somebody yeah. like Jamie Dimon, and I actually think the stock responds. I mean, the one thing about this sell-off is the bar's really low here, right? Mm -hmm. They don't have to do much tomorrow. They just have to basically be in line and say, yeah, you know what, we're not seeing any signs of weakness out there, and I think the stock market and J.P. Morgan stock would do quite J well. Jamie Dimon's on record saying that 4% was the rate where the 10-year <clears throat> will impede growth. So it's 4%. So that's where he's if already... If he moves off of that... If he moves off of that, where he starts to say, okay, now it's a, more of a velocity right. issue. For more on what to expect from the big bank earnings tomorrow, let's turn to the options market. Mike goes out in San Francisco to break it down. What do you see, Mike? Yeah, so the options market's implying some pretty good-sized moves to the bank, about 3.8% for Citibank on their earnings. 3.2% is the implied move in J.P. Morgan, and 3.8% also in Wells Fargo. Granted, J.P. Morgan is the largest of these three, so that 3.2% is actually going to translate to a market cap move of about 12%. But where we saw the most directional activity, even though we saw above-average options activity generally, was Wells Fargo, where we saw about two times the average daily put volume. And most of that activity was concentrated in the weekly 51-strike puts that expire tomorrow. We saw over 6,400 of those trading for about 40 cents. So those are bearish bets. The stock could be below 51 bucks by that 40 cents that they're paying 
by the close tomorrow. So we're betting that Wells Fargo could actually drop. The other two, we were seeing flows in both directions, despite today's negative activity. All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Coe in San Francisco. For more options action, check out the full show. That's tomorrow at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Still ahead, stocks getting slammed again today with the Nasdaq falling into correction territory and a number of one-tie flyers getting absolutely crushed. But Guy Dami here says there's one stock that's down more than 15% this month alone that he would love to buy right now. So give us a name. And be sure to stick around later tonight for CNBC's special Markets in Turmoil. It will be a packed hour featuring Jim Cramer and even these guys here, the Fast Money Traders. That starts at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Much more Fast Money in the meantime, right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. October has been a scary month on Wall Street, and we are only 11 days in. We've already seen huge losses with American Airlines, down 24%, down 18% for uh, AMD, Amazon, Netflix, and Electronic Arts, all down about 15% month to date. So are any of these names oversold and worth a buy? Who's going to nibble? So Netflix, I think, is, because I don't think it's, it shouldn't be caught up in the whole trade war epic saga that we're it's seeing. It's caught up in the high interest rate saga. It's it caught is. up in a it leveraged that, balance sheet situation. I think that going into year end, you're going to have to make a choice. Do you want returns on your money or do you just want to go and hide? And I think funds are paid to manage money and to show a positive return. I think you're going to be forced into growth stocks. Netflix is still a growth stock. Mm -hmm. Yes, headwinds, but still a growth stock in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I think, I think at some point, if you get this tradable bounce, you're going to get a nice rip in some of these, something like Netflix. The one thing, the wrong move to be has been to bet against Netflix over the last several years. So I don't know if it's necessarily time to bet against it for a tradable bounce. I also think AMD, a name that I'm long as well, I think that one might not be bad here. That actually didn't seem to sell off as much, and even today had a little bit of relative strength. So I do think there are some tradable buys here once we see that market start to turn. Friday at 5.30, there's a great options show. Action. Options yes, action. So that's what it's from called. From time to time, I'm on that show. Sometimes we let you. <laughs> you allow me to do that. That's yes. true. And in early September, you allowed me to do it. And Dan yes. Nathan and I wanted to show together. And he put on a bullish trade vis-a-vis -vis options in electronic arts. Actually proved to be a good trade by Dan. I know he's listening right now. But my point was, you know what? I think there's a good chance that electronic arts trades back to the December 2017 level, which is about $100. Well, here we are now. I think electronic arts is overdone on the downside. At, at 19 times or so forward earnings, I think it's fair valuation. And two analysts just both upgraded the stock. I think $145 price targets. So I think EA is interesting here. Do any of those stocks tempt you, the ones well, that I, we went through? Or? Sadly, I'm long one of them. American uh, Airlines. American Airlines. Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw some very good news out of Delta today. Uh, it should translate somewhat, not entirely, over to American Airlines. Delta was kind of a nice positive surprise, able on, especially on the, on the higher class, uh, more expensive tickets. But I, I, I don't know. In terms of cheapness, this is pretty damn cheap. Yeah. Well, Guy here, mm. he's not scared. <laughs> Says you should buy one of these names. So why don't you head over to the plasma? Should I get up now? Yes, and deliver your fast. Well, I'm going to walk over to the plasma, and, and in front there. of me is a camera. So if I go like this, I have to see this. I'm scared. Oh, Isn't nice. that great? And I'm going to do a power pitch here. And we're, oh, I'm sorry. It's called a fast pitch. And this is what we're going to do. Ready? You ready? Slide it, Earl. Amazon. Amazon. Are you kidding me? Crazy valuation stocks in this environment. You got to be nuts. I am, but I'm not nuts. Favorable setup into earnings. What does that mean? Well, the stocks went from 2040 in early September to south of 1800 now. That is one of the biggest moves we've seen in a while. But guess what? We've seen moves of this magnitude over the last five, six years, all of which have been found buying on the backside. 
fundamental change in the business? No, nothing's changed in terms of what Amazon's doing. There is no fundamental change. It's the same company it was a month ago when we were talking about it racing to a trillion dollar market cap. And Bezos raising minimum wage at Amazon. Why do I think that's interesting? As much as I'd like to think he did it because he's some very charitable man and did it out of the kindness of his heart, I think that's part of it. I think part of it was to get sort of the media off his back because he has not been as charitable as maybe should be. But I also think he did it to make Walmart and Target and all sort of jack up their prices as well. So that has a twofold effect of potentially hurting their competition. Here's a chart that I mentioned. You know what? Still in a decent uptrend. We haven't really broken yet. So I think there's a chance into earnings, and I think this earnings about a week and a half, two weeks from now, that Amazon sets up as well as it possibly could in this environment. So Guy, question for you. So now when you look at the Chinese Amazon in the form of Alibaba that's been beaten down, Amazon's up 47 percent, Alibaba down 17 percent. Are you worried that you're going to get guys rotate out of one and continue to rotate and buy the other one? That's fair. If, listen, if you have some China accord and President Xi and President Trump are shaking hands on this new China deal, Alibaba will rip and maybe you'll see some selling in Amazon could happen. I have no idea. But I'll take my chances that won't happen, and I'll take my chances that Amazon will be buying earnings. All right. No more questions. Time to vote on Guy's pitch for Amazon, buying or selling. Uh, Steve Grasso. You had me at hello. Buy Amazon. I've been a lover of this stock. I think it turns so many different valves in the uh, investment world. I am worried about the Alibaba rotation, though. Very neat handwriting. You Thank wrote you. that yourself? That's good Thank penmanship. Surprising. Uh, Karen. <laughs> Okay, so if you've been waiting, if you've been waiting for your chance, nothing's changed. I agree with Guy on that completely. If you've been waiting, time to start buying Amazon. Brian Kelly. You know what? I, I hope wow. you can see this, but I'm saying hit that buy it now button as well. Wow, that's a Bitcoin with, B. That's a, oh, that is a, you noticed that I snuck the old Bitcoin <laughs> B in there. That's weird. Uh, but I still, think, I still think that you should buy Amazon here. All right, buys all around here, but would you step in and buy Amazon here? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, as stocks sell off, a major market shift from growth to value is underway. So how do you know when it's right to invest in one versus the other? Karen Feinerman will explain. We've got much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks getting crushed again today for the worst two-day losing streak since February. The sell-off underscoring a major shift in the markets. For more on that, let's bring in Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. Hi, Bob. Hello, Melissa. Will value finally outperform growth? That's a big question. For the past 10 years, growth has outperformed value, and by a lot. Growth stocks were up 260% since 2009. Value's up only 160. Look at that big difference. Now, when buying value, you want to buy a company that's cheap compared to the value of its assets. That's called a low price-to-book ratio. That is the traditional criteria for buying value. There's others, but that's the traditional one. Value stocks can change over time, but right now, most value stocks fall into three main sectors, consumer staples, energy stocks, and bank stocks. Now, in the last week, there's been some evidence that investors prefer value, or at the least, that value is not being sold as much as growth. Tech stocks, which are the ultimate growth sector, are down 10% this week. But banks and energy and consumer staples, they're down only 5 or 6%. Shifting the value would be a really big deal. For 10 years, we've been in an era of low growth and low rates. Now, in that environment, it made sense to buy the only sector that had any growth at all, which was technology. And it almost, it didn't matter how much you paid for it. But now things are changing or maybe changing. We may be moving into an era of higher growth and higher rates. And in that environment, 
owning tech may not be as desirable as it used to be. That's the problem. It may be more desirable to own value stocks. Unfortunately, we still need to have the dust settle out before we can see a really clear trend. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani at the New York Stock Exchange. So how can you tell the difference between a growth stock and a value stock, and what exactly does that mean? Karen's over at the Plasma with the more you know. Karen. Okay, so we're hearing all this talk about a rotation out of growth into value. So let's look at some of the things that make a stock either a value stock or a growth stock. Certainly, we're going to start off with fundamental price. So a very high P.E. stock, that's clearly in the growth camp, right? That's not a surprise. And obviously, a low P.E. would be in the value camp. One of the other things that some true, true value investors love to see is a dividend. That definitely goes in the value camp. We see so many growth companies that couldn't possibly pay a dividend. Something like a cult following stock doesn't happen in value, definitely happens in growth. So now let's go to a particular industry and see what kind of names we have and where they fall in the growth value spectrum, right? So Best Buy, this is definitely a value one. We all know the story here that Amazon threat, this stock trades very cheaply and they've been able to survive. That's definitely in the value camp. Stitch Fix, for sure, in the growth camp. We saw what happens when the growth isn't quite there. That multiple gets compressed. The stock really gets crushed. So that's the downside of growth. On the value side, we have Macy's. They've been able to turn the story around a little bit, and yet the stock is very cheap, very low PE multiple. And then sort of medium between Stitch Fix and some of the other ones is Ulta. High PE, not super, super high, but this is a cold falling. They've had tremendous growth. But if they miss, that stock could really come in. So what I really like to do is find GARPY stocks, which means growth at a reasonable price. And that leads me to the bullseye, Target. This is one where you get some growth and you have a reasonable price. So it's both growth and value. Hey, Karen, it's BK. Hey, BK. Um, Very interesting presentation. My question is, we've heard a lot of people come on talk about you want to buy the value stocks that have assets. So of these value ones, Target or Macy's, which one of those probably own the most real estate that might be able to hedge you in an inflationary environment? Well, Macy's for sure owns the most, the most valuable real estate. However, they've been trying to monetize that, and it hasn't been happening as quickly as people like. So that, that's some asset to fall back on. But that was supposed to be a driver for the strategy, and it really hasn't been. I think you've got to look at it more on the operating business. How are they doing with that? And that's cheap. Karen, thanks for that. The more you know with Karen Freiderman. Coming up, Square getting smashed today after CFO Sarah Fryer leaves the mobile payment firm, adding to the pain this month for the once hot stock. Is it about to catch cold for good? Plus, Trump isn't the only one sounding off on the Fed. Check out our Kramer cam. There's Jim out with a major warning about future rate hikes. That is at the top of the hour. We are live at the NASDAQ market side in Times Square. Much more fast money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for a buzzkill. Check out shares of Square sinking more than 10% today, adding to its 10% drop yesterday. This after CFO Sarah Fryer announced her departure from the company. The once high-flying stock hit an all-time high on October 1st, but it was all downhill from there. Shares are now down 30% for the month so far, losing $12 billion in market cap for the month, hitting a new low today. Of course, it's still doubled in 2018, up 100%. You own the stock, Rasa. I do own the stock. I made my first purchase below $13. Doesn't make it any better because these were profits that you would love to take. So this still hurts it trading in. But there's payments. There's financial services. There's software. There's still a host of reasons to own the stock. So you still own it. 
despite the fall off, despite Sarah Fryer. I think leaving. I think initially the the sell off was the momentum versus value sell off. The Sarah Fryer was the last leg of the sell off. Uh -huh. I'm still in it. I still believe in the story, okay. so I'm going to stay with it. Karen. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Steve. I think that this sell off today was two and a half billion dollars pretty much on Sarah Fryer because PayPal, which is a very close comp, was up today, mm. right? So that's, I think, quite an overstatement. She is a very, very talented executive, no question. But as Steve said, there's a number of divisions here. There's hardware, there's, there's Square Capital, there's uh, marketing and sales, and they all are run by people with great experience, right? And they all report to Jack. So that's interesting. She's a very talented executive. I don't mean to take anything away from her. But just understand, there's a lot of buckets of value here that report to Jack, and that's important to know. Yeah, and, and we talk about the fact that, you know, the banks haven't traded well. Well, part of it's because companies like this, disruptive payments, money's changing. You want to be invested in these things that are disrupting the old school stuff. So it's, it is a loss, obviously, to have Sarah Fryer go, but I still think at the, it's here you want to be in square. Is this a loss for Twitter? in that Jack Dorsey doesn't have a, a very talented oh. number two executive to lean on over at Square while he is also the CEO of Twitter. Yeah, but so Karen, can I can answer you, that? Yeah. Sure. They are doing a very expansive search. David Vinier, and I'm not going to pronounce the name right, Mr. Basso. So Vinier is sort of an East Coast um, finance guy, no. right? Combined with a West Coast tech guy, they get together are going to do a search. And this company is so big now and is growing so rapidly, they're going to get somebody really good. Okay. Twitter impact? I mean, yes, but I mean, then you have to ask yourself, it's going from 45 to 27 over the course of two and a half months. So how much of potentially all of this is in the name? By the way, Twitter was actually hired. Not that that means anything, but on a pretty miserable day, Twitter actually showed some life. So listen, I was wrong a couple days ago because I thought Twitter 29 had turned the corner. Clearly that didn't happen, but I do think there's value in Twitter here. But real quick, she's not leaving because there's something going on with the, with no. the stock. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. leaving because right. she has the, the ability. CEO, she's never going to be Jack Dorsey. That's important. Up next, it is the one tech stock that Steve Grasso says looks so bad it's actually good. We got the name. We'll come right back. Welcome back. A very important programming note after two huge days for the markets. Stick around tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time for a market sell-off special. Markets and turmoil. You might even see the, some familiar faces. Of course you will, so you want to watch that. All right, so you know what you can buy on Amazon? A CD of Come Dirty on! Dancing soundtracks. You can listen to Jennifer Warren's Immortal Rip. Classic, The Time of My Life. This is witnessing history. After America bought his pitch for Amazon, it was a nice majority, 57%. We have not seen that in a long time. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, final yeah. trade, Grasso. Alibaba. Been beaten down for too long, too far. Alibaba. Karen? Yes. Bought some today. I own some from higher, though. FedEx. I think the economy will be fine. Brian Kelly. Ooh, mine's a blast from the past. Phosphates, mosaic. Take a look at that wow. one on OS. Freeport, McMoran, mosaic. Wow. Yeah, uh, guy. I'm just basking in the yes. glory of a victory, Mel. <laughs> Facebook was high today, FB. That does it for us. See back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.